Hey, this is John Legadakis of johnlegadakis.com and I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast. This podcast is a live recording of an interview I do each week with other internet marketers, personal development and business leaders where we talk about how we can better promote our products and services online, get more traffic and make more sales. I hope you get a lot out of today's recording. Hi, welcome to the podcast everyone. It's great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. I'm very pleased to welcome our guest for today, special guest, Laura Pennington, all the way from the US. Thank you for joining us, Laura. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Let me tell you a bit about Laura. Laura Pennington spent most of her life preparing to be an educator and then burned out after working as a middle school teacher in Baltimore City. After starting a freelance writing career on the side, she quickly replaced and surpassed her day job earnings and hit the six-figure mark in just 18 months. Since 2013, she's worked full-time for herself, helping clients with content and project management by leveraging time management and digital teams. She now teaches others how to build fulfilling lifestyle businesses from home. Now, there's so much we can learn from you, Laura, and so I really appreciate being with us here on the podcast today. But before we talk about what you've done to create this lifestyle for yourself and how you're helping other people, I'd like our audience and myself also to know a bit about Laura Pennington, the person. So tell us a bit about yourself, life growing up, family influences and so forth. Sure. So I grew up in rural Northwest Ohio. I I was born in Chicago, but my family moved to Ohio when I was relatively young. And that's where I grew up, Um, went to high school and was actually um, sort of different from most of the people that I graduated high school with. There were only a handful of us who left the state of Ohio to go elsewhere to college. I was really off the beaten path. I attended a very small woman's college in rural Virginia. There were only about seven or 800 students there. And I studied political science and economics and was thinking at that time, I'm going to go into a career in, you know, education, or I'm going to go to law school, something like that. I spent a year studying abroad in England, my junior year, I lived over there and chose my direction to be education and pursuing graduate school. So after getting my bachelor's degree, I went to get my master's degree. And then I I entered a PhD program. So I have done everything but my dissertation for um, my PhD in public administration and policy. And my research is all about um, the US legal system and how it attempts or sometimes fails to protect victims of domestic violence. Um, As a child, you know, I was pretty (laughs) precocious. A lot of the influence came from um, my mom and from my maternal grandmother. Um, The family tradition of tap dancing was passed down from my maternal grandmother. I was very active as a competitive tap dancer. I competed in the Miss Virginia preliminary to the Miss America pageant twice and was a semifinalist there. So I've had a lot of you know, unique experiences. And I think that's what's helped me sort of refine what I want to do with with my life and where I'm at now. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for sharing. So how did you go from when you finished your studies? How did you decide to become an educator? What inspired you? What drove you to do that? I had a wonderful advisor when I was in my master's program in the political science department. And he was just not just a gifted researcher, but a brilliant teacher. I mean, he connected with students so well. He became my boss. He became my mentor. He became a friend. And watching him come alive in the classroom is really what inspired me to pursue a career in education. And 
I actually had the opportunity. I taught five undergraduate classes at Virginia Tech while I was there, and I loved it. And I felt that I was really good at it. I had excellent feedback from my students. I loved holding office hours. Um, it was really a joy for me. But that sort of changed, you know, when I entered the traditional education system in the states. You know, being a seventh grade teacher in a in a pretty big bureaucracy. Um, it was just so different from what I had experienced in graduate school, and it really challenged everything I thought about a teaching career and whether that was something I really wanted to commit my entire life to. Mm. And it was during that time you started looking elsewhere to make income. Is that what happened? Is that what drove you to do what you do today? Yeah, exactly. So I was working 16 to 18 hours a day. I was driving an hour and a half each way across the state of Maryland to get to my school in Baltimore, woke up at four o'clock in the morning every day and was at the school by six. And it was draining. I mean, it was absolutely exhausting. People always think, well, it was the kids that were tough, but really it was more of the adults and the administration that didn't really support the teachers. You know, we had no resources. We had more students than desks. It was just total chaos. And, you know, I started to have a series of medical problems tied directly to the fact that I was teaching six, seven hours straight every single day without a break that was, I took that as my sign that I could not do this anymore, that I was headed for the point of a breakdown. I was experiencing the signs of physical exhaustion. And, um, when I, I, you know, I sprained my ankle and that was kind of it. That was the last, you know, (laughs) I said, this is it, you know, I'm, I'm done here. So I resigned my position. Then I thought, okay, well, what do I do now? You know, I've spent my entire life preparing to be a teacher. Everything on my resume is all about being a teacher. And thankfully a boss I had had before taking the teaching job offered me a position basically in corporate America doing some marketing. And I thought, okay, this will be a good, you know, middle of the road place for me to go as I figure things out. And when I made that transition is when I started freelance writing on the side, just because I thought it would be an extra way to make some money. We were living in a very expensive area of Maryland at the time. And and I thought it would help to support my household. And the way that it exploded was not something that I was prepared for. Um, so it was a great thing, but it was not something I had counted on. Now, and it's something I've never done before, Laura. So tell us a bit about what you did experience when you started. So what? Uh, so you started, uh, you, you made yourself available to be a writer, to write articles, is that what it was? Or, and which platform did you use for people to hire you? Sure. I got started using Elance.com, which is now called Upwork. Um, it's still something that I recommend that new freelancers of any type check out because the people who are posting jobs on Upwork already know that they want to hire someone and you just need to convince them that you're the right fit for the job. So my transition, you know, I had never been paid to be a writer. I wasn't on my college or high school newspaper, didn't study English. Um, so I had a lot of limiting beliefs that this was even possible. And I thought, Hey, this is great. If I make an extra 300 bucks a month, this will be kind of fun. It will distract me from, you know, my my day job, which wasn't, it was in an insurance brokerage. It wasn't something I was, you know, deeply passionate about. So I thought that would be how freelance writing fit into my life. And, um, I, I just got started with no experience. I created three work samples from scratch and I started bidding on jobs and it took a while for me to land my first job, at least 20 or 30 bids before I had any interest from wow. anyone. Oh, you kept and, going. Um, That's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to a point where I kept 
seeing that I was losing to the same people, like the same people were beating me. And so I spent one Saturday and I sat down and I looked at their profile, their website, their writing samples. I created a fake job on Elance to see how they were responding. And I used that to say, <laughs> right, right, okay, right. Here, here's what they're offering. You know, their writing samples aren't that great or they're so booked they can't turn things around quickly. So I use that to position me as a more qualified um, candidate. And it really picked up. You know, I met and surpassed my day job income in a little less than three months that was doing freelancing part time. And that was when it started to become apparent to me that I might be able to make a go of this full time. Now, just to give people a, a bit of an idea of what type of income we're talking about is possible. How much were you getting paid for for jobs and what type of jobs were they? Oh, it was all over the place. I mean, when I got started, I had no idea what to charge. I was just thrilled to make extra money. So I would, um, you know, say I would work for $20 an hour, $25 an hour. And I think part of the reason that people would snap up that opportunity is because a lot of more experienced writers don't charge that. You know, they're charging $50, $80, $100 an hour and getting it because of their experience and expertise. But getting started you know, I wasn't counting on this to be my income, first of all. So I was learning a lot about setting my rates. And a lot of those first couple jobs taught me when I had undersold myself and how I should avoid that in the future. So you will really find freelance writing, especially the rates are all over the place. But I would say now in today's market, you know, a 500 word blog is pretty standard. You're, you know, on the low end, someone's probably going to quote $30 for that. That's probably the lowest I would go where you're going to get any quality. And then I see people who are charging 100 to $300 for the same piece, depending on how technical it is. Um, so it just depends. Yeah. You charge an hourly rate. Is, is, that, is that the impression I'm getting? Or depends, like if they're asking for a specific length of an article, you charge a one-off fee? What I recommend to writers is to charge on a project basis. However, when you're first getting started, you can't do that because you don't know how long it's going to take you. So when I got started, it would take me at least an hour to write one 500-word blog post from researching it to writing it to editing it to submitting it. Now that process is maybe 15 to 20 minutes tops once I know what I'm writing about. So it's much different. But when I got started, if I would have just quoted a project basis and I gave, you know, gave a really low number like $20, if I spent two or three hours on that, it wasn't even close to worth my time. So I recommend when people get started to charge hourly, to learn how fast you are, to learn if you even like doing these kind of projects, and then switch to project basis. So the majority of my clients now pay a per piece amount, um, depending on, and it, and it's different too, because sometimes it's more generic content. Sometimes somebody's sending me a government document that I have to break into layman terms. That's obviously going to take me longer. So that's going to be charged, you know, at a different rate. Um, but yeah, I, I start with hourly, see how you do, see how long it actually takes you to write these various sized pieces, 500 words, a thousand words, 3000 words, and then you're in a better position to give somebody a project rate. Yeah, that's great advice. Thanks, Laura. Now, you went from the time you started to, to you hit your six-figure mark in income or in earnings, 18 months. When you hit that point, was it you doing all the work? Were you outsourcing some of that at that stage? It's actually interesting because I uh, my company has been in the six-figure revenue space since 2014, 
And I have done both models. So in 2014, I did everything myself. Also in 2016, I did everything myself. But in 2015, I decided to try outsourcing um, my business to others. So I have experience doing both. I definitely know what model I prefer. You know, um, I, I had a pretty difficult experience outsourcing the entire thing, but I learned a lot of lessons about that um, that I have since applied to my business and sort of have allowed me to recalibrate the way that I run things now. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming you prefer to outsource. Is that correct? Oh, no, I prefer to do everything myself, which okay. means that I have to I have to be very selective about the clients I work with because I have a limited bandwidth and I'm only one person. But what I found, and this is just my experience, but running a major company where you have multiple writers under you. I mean, last year for eight months, I managed a team of writers who were producing 400 or more blogs every single month. And I found that it was either profitable or enjoyable, but never both at the same time. And so for me, it meant I couldn't take vacation easily. It meant I was stressed out a lot. It meant I was getting complaints from clients about quality concerns. And for me, that wasn't worth it because I'm running a lifestyle business. So now my whole business is oriented around me working with ongoing recurring clients who I love, um, who have been with me a long time yeah. and accepting one-off projects where it makes sense. But I like to be able to, to have a break. So for me, I mean, I totally thought that outsourcing was going to, I was like, Oh, this is great. I don't have to do really any of the work, just the admin stuff. Oh, I, I found out I hated managing people. I really hated dealing with invoices and people who submitted things late and didn't follow the guidelines. And it was just, I thought, Oh, I, I know I'm not cut out for a career in management. That's for sure. <laughs> mm. Well, it, it can be really tough. I've uh, outsourced, I've hired uh, virtual assistants on a full-time basis. I've done ad hoc jobs. It's not easy finding people. Now, when, with your outsourcing that you were doing, Laura, was that overseas? Was that like to the Philippines? Was that in the U.S.? Where were you outsourcing? I was using U.S.-based content writers. Now, I do still use virtual assistants. They're a very important component of, of running my business and keeping things automated. And I used some overseas virtual assistants for the management of these bigger projects. So they would be the one to check in when someone was late. Um, but all the writers were based in the U.S. Okay. And thank you for clarifying that. Um, so so you do use you do outsource in a way, oh, well, management and tasks and admin stuff. You outsource that. You have virtual assistants to do that, and there that could be, yeah, like we said, Philippines. It might be India, other places. But for content creation, you, you stick to the US. And and I, I know too. I mean, I've I've seen people uh, outsource content creation to places like Philippines, and it's usually the quality is just not there. Would you agree with that? You know, yeah, uh, yeah, I would agree with that, and especially because of the market in which I'm working. So most of my clients are law firms, are insurance agencies, are B2B companies. There has to be a certain finesse of the English language, not just for what they will accept, but especially when working with law firms, there are legally things you can and cannot say. And for me to have to educate someone about that when they haven't grown up in the United States, you know, it's, it's more, it's a cultural thing too, you know? Um, so there was just a tremendous amount of research that would have been involved in teaching somebody overseas all about the U S laws and customs. Um, and I felt that barrier was, was far too great to make that be a good choice. 
Yeah. And especially when your clients are paying you good rates, you, you have to give them that quality as well. So it, it, it is, does depend a lot about how much you're charging and, and who your clients are, as you were saying, Laura. For someone that's, Laura, that wants to get started, they're thinking, you know what, I could do this. There'll be people listening thinking, I want to be making some money from home. This sounds like something easy because you don't have to set up a website. You know, a lot of people, when it comes to online business, they always think, oh, I can't do it because I have to have a website and I have to have a product and all that. But with what you're doing, it's a lot easier, a lot simpler to get started. What do people need? Like, let's say someone wants to get started, Laura, what is it that they need to get started? Yeah, this is one of my favorite things about freelancing, because just like you mentioned, as opposed to another online business where you might have a tremendous amount of setup and copywriting that you have to do and websites that have to be developed with freelance writing, it works as much as you want it to, but you don't need a whole lot to get started. So, I mean, I got started with like, I think it, you know, my membership on Elance was like $20. And then I think I paid $30 more to buy extra bids to, you know, submit to these jobs. So I spent about $50. The first job I landed paid me $150. So I considered that, you know, an investment that would continue to pay off for me um, as I landed more jobs based on my reputation there. So what I, there's a couple of things that you do absolutely need to have. Website, not necessarily one of them. I did not have a website for the first three years of my freelance writing career. So if you're not tech savvy, if you don't want to spend money hiring someone else, build it for you, let that go temporarily, but you will have to rely on another source for leads. Now a website is never going to hurt you. Um, it's a great place to show that you're a credible writer. Um, it's a great place to send people to, and it's pretty easy to build one if you use a tool like Squarespace or something, but, um, you need writing samples above all else. Writing samples can trump experience, price, everything, because you would not believe how hard it is to find good writers. I mean, I speak from experience having hired them. I was just out trying to hire um, a copywriter for a colleague of mine, and I just made a video for my email newsletter this morning because at least 50% of the responses that I got had mistakes in the writing samples or in the pitch. And I just said, you know, you know, if that's it, so you've got to have accurate information and it's not, you know, you don't have to be a perfect writer, but you need to be compelling enough to convince the client that they can trust you. You know, this is their website, their business, their brand, spend a lot of time working on it. Um, you have to care about it too. So find that English teacher friend of yours, ask your spouse to proofread it, whatever um, it needs to be. Um, you can create the work samples, look at other examples in the industry. So if you want to be a white paper writer, go download some white papers, see how they're set up, see the tone and the language that's used. You know, I looked at, um, I was an SEO search engine optimization writer when I got started. It's still a big chunk of my business. I went and looked at the basic format of an SEO blog, what was good, what was bad, created three work samples, used them to land dozens of jobs. And then if you're going to market using a site like Upwork or Freelancer or Guru or somewhere else, you want to have a solid profile there that really capitalizes on all of your experience that you have. And then just a marketing plan. I mean, you know, reaching out to clients, um, talking to them on a regular basis, pitching yourself, refining that process, will help you land those first couple of jobs. And that's why sites like Upwork can be so great because someone on Upwork already knows they want to hire a writer. You don't have to convince them of the value. Yeah, thank you. Excellent advice. Some of our listeners are going to be most probably wondering, Laura, 
how long would it take me? Let's say, let's say the goal is to get to be earning around 50k a year. Let's say that's their first goal to get to that point. On average, how long? I know it's going to vary greatly for every person because each person because everyone's different. But can you give people sort of a bit of an idea of how long would it take to get to the point where you're earning around 50k a year, and also? How much time, once you're used to the topic and you're familiar with the topics that you're writing about, how much time per week would you have to spend writing and doing everything you need to do to run the business to be earning that 50K per year? I would say depending on sort of how hungry you are for it and the kind of content you're writing, that's achievable within a year to two years, I, I believe. Now, how, how much time you're dedicating to it how you allocate that time is going to shift over your experience. So when you first get started, you're going to spend 80% to 90% of your time marketing and only that remaining percent actually writing things for clients because you don't have anyone on your client load currently and you have to increase that. Now, as you grow your business, ideally you've left your current clients with such a positive experience that they've either hired you for ongoing work or they have referred you to others. So there's less marketing work you have to do. Um, one of the things I realized early on in my business is that starting off with brand new projects every single month. So doing one-off projects, like somebody coming to me and saying, Hey, can you edit this? And then I never hear from them again after they pay. That was exhausting because every month I was starting over at zero. Now I have to go find a whole month's worth of income. I have to go chase that paycheck down. That was tiring. So for me, I decided to focus on recurring monthly contracts with my ideal clients because knowing how much money is coming in every month allows me to plan ahead financially. And also if I lose a client then I know I need to get somebody else in that spot. As far as, you know, hours per week, I, for the first year of my freelance business, I was only part-time, I would say between 10 and 15 hours a week, making between three and 5,000 or $6,000 a month doing it part-time. And then that really increased when I went full-time and now had um, more hours to dedicate to it. But that's perhaps what's great about freelancing is you don't have to write 60, 80 hours a week. You can write 20 hours a week and have an, a good income from it. You can write 10 hours a week and have a good income from it. It's all about what you want. Yeah, that's that's really good to know because, again, I don't have any experience with freelancing. And so I have I had no idea of the time involved and how much income you can make. Actually, I'm quite surprised. I, I think it's a fantastic way for anyone to get started online. Really good opportunity, especially, as you said, if you can get recurring clients because that's something I, I'm always encouraging my clients to do is get recurring business in, in everything that you do. It's also for all those reasons that you mentioned and also just peace of mind. You know, it's It's just so good to have that recurring income each month. Laura, again, thank you so much for the time you shared with us today and the information you've given us. Was there any final thoughts, Laura, that you have for our listeners today? Yeah, I would say that if you're thinking about doing this, it's something that you can mostly teach yourself. You can do it on a budget. It's something you can try out and see if you like it and make adjustments on the type of projects you're working on based on your interests. So don't hold back on on starting out. If you've got an hour or two a week even, you can do freelance writing. So think about how you might be able to incorporate that passion and creativity for writing into whether your life, whether it's that you already have a day job or you're looking to even scale this up to full time. 
And Laura, you have some websites, obviously websites so people can hire you as a writer, but you also help writers, is that correct? Can you tell us some of the resources you have available? Sure. So um, if you visit my website, sixfigurewritingsecrets.com, all spelled out, um, that's where I have all of my best resources to help complete beginners. So if, if you're listening to this and thinking, oh my gosh, I can't even think about making six figures as a writer. I haven't made my first dollar. That's okay. All my materials are mostly geared towards beginners. So you can get a free guide to killing it on Upwork, how to use that site and avoid some of the most common mistakes. And then I've also got six resources to help you get started. So setting rates, average rates for various writing projects in 2016, things you can use to make your life easier with clients and how to tell an ideal client. So you can get all of those materials for free, as well as my free video course, um, how to determine your freelance writing niche. That's uh, sixfigurewritingsecrets.com. Thank you so uh, very much, Laura. I really, really appreciate you being with us on the podcast today. And I want to thank everyone also for being here and for listening. Hey, John Legadakis here. If you got something out of today's podcast episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast as each week I'm doing more of these valuable interviews. Also, share it with your friends. Now, if you want to get in contact with me, you can do so anytime through my website, johnlegadakis.com. There's also a lot of great free resources there to help you to get more traffic and leads for your business. This is John Legadakis signing off. I'll see you all next time.